0: 140303 This is the morning drive on News Talk WVMT.
1: Welcome back to the morning drive everybody. Curtin Anthony here and we are pleased now to be joined by United States Vermont's United States Senator, one of the two Senator Peter Welch. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. How is it going in Washington and at, and how are so you're you're finishing up nearly the first year of your first time term, term as United States senator senator? How different is it Peter from being Vermont's lone congressperson
2: well it, it, two things number one, you know I started out in politics uh, with, uh, in the state Senate and it there was thirty people and very intimate uh, and I like that very much and I have a feeling of that similar kind of emotional uh, you know, state. Hey, by the way, Kurt, I'm getting a lot of blowback on this, you still so I don't are. know if you can manage.
0: Yep, hang on, sir, I'm working on that right now.
2: Okay, um, so th- th- the biggest joy I have is the same one I had when I served in the state senate when you were in the state house and th- that I had when I served in Congress. It's just really an incredible honor to be uh, be helping Vermonters and being, uh, th- their voice in Congress along with uh, Bernie and Becca.
1: Um, Peter, I want to ask you about a local issue before we get into some of the national issues. And are you, are you endorsing anybody in the Burlington mayor's race?
2: I'm not, I'm excited. I'm watching and I appreciate all the good work you are doing interviewing everyone.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, have you been asked? I assume you must've been asked.
2: No, I, you know, I think the folks running for mayor pretty much understand, that it's a decision that the people in Burlington have to make, and those of us who are in other offices, um, we're not—we we're really—it's—we're not the deciders. But it's gonna—it is a spirit election, and obviously a very crucial one for Burlington in deciding its you know, future direction.
1: Uh, Peter, can you talk a little bit about the shooting in Burlington a week or two ago, where three 20-year-old uh, Palestinian? Students, not from students in Burlington, but here visiting for Thanksgiving, uh, were shot uh, by, allegedly at least, by a, a man named Jason Eaton, who lived right there.
2: You know, it's so heartbreaking. Really, it really is. It's just awful. These are three Palestinian-Americans. Uh, you know, two were citizens, one um just full-time resident. They're students at uh, colleges, 20 years old. Uh, Brown, Haverford, and Trinity. Uh, and they had spent the earlier day with family, going to the, the birthday party for their eight-year-old uh, niece. You know, they were bowling, and they were on their way to the grandmother's for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, if this man comes out of his apartment and shoots the three of them. And one, of course, has very uh, is paralyzed. I mean, it's unspeakable. And obviously you know the or, or the police who by the way did an incredibly good job, including federal folks from the a t f um this it, it's just tragic for this family, and uh you know they're investigating whether it's a hate crime um and they're have they have to be precise uh but you know it's a pretty obvious inference if you have three young men. Uh, with kafiyas on and speaking Arabic, that, that had a lot to do that motivated the shooting. So it's it's just absolutely horrible. And I've talked to some of the family, including the mother of the, the boy who's paralyzed or the man, and uh, she came in. She was living in Ramallah, uh, and uh, I just I just can't I just can't imagine this. It's just terrible. Uh, but I've been so impressed with the family who've expressed their gratitude for folks in Burlington coming together and the help they've had uh, but this is heartbreaking and, and just about it's terrible terrible terrible
1: and I think everybody agrees with that it's horrific it was horrible and um, we have all of our thoughts are with the three young men particularly the one man who seems to it's paralyzed at this point and of course their families uh, some of who are longtime Burlington residents but uh, then we have to differentiate our points of view with that which is horrific um, and then about what's going on between Israel and uh, and uh, Hamas and Palestine. Um, and it looks like you, it seems like you sort of changed your position on on the support for a pause. And just days after the shooting, you then, I, you can call me out if I have this wrong, but I'm looking at reports that said a few days later, you decided to support a, an indefinite ceasefire. What, did that, was that impacted by the shooting in Burlington, or what was your decision-making process in moving to call for an indefinite ceasefire?
2: Well, I'll tell you why. I mean, first of all, let's acknowledge how horrendous, uh, epically horrendous, this attack by vicious Hamas was on, on Israel. Uh, 1,200 people were slaughtered, and one of the things that I had to do was watch that video that the uh, Israeli Defense Forces made that included GoPro videos from uh, Hamas terrorists and also from uh, CCTV videos, and it was horrible. So absolutely, Israel has a right to respond to Hamas. And of course, this attack where they lost more people uh, in, in the entire history of the country in this that single day, it goes to the heart of the identity that Israel has as the safe place uh, for uh, the Jewish people. Uh, so totally, totally supportive of the right of Israel to respond. The The concern that really developed very, very quickly <clears throat> is that the choice that the Netanyahu government made to respond was massive bombing and the really significant dilemma, and this is my major concern, is that when you're using 2,000-pound bombs in the most highly populated, most densely populated part of the world almost, there's going to be massive civilian casualties. And that's what's been happening. You know, 16,000 people, uh, Palestinians have died. A million and a half are desperately uh, seeking food, water, and medicine. Do so you agree, the though? The real Senator? concern I've had is about the bombing and yeah. humanitarian catastrophe that continues to get worse.
1: But do you agree? And do you agree that they that Israel needs to wipe out Hamas?
2: I do. You know, the, the, the challenge is going to be that ultimately there is going to have to be a political solution, but the political solution can't include Hamas. It can't include an organization that is dedicated to killing Jews and also destroying the, the Israeli state. That's not the Palestinian people, but that is Hamas, and Hamas is after Israel. So, yes, they can't be part of any a future, hopefully, two-state solution. I do agree with that.
1: It's interesting that you and Congresswoman Becca Bellin have a little bit different position than Senator Sanders does, at least unless he's changed in the last 24 hours, where he has said, that he doesn't think uh, that a ceasefire would work and that he thinks, how do you negotiate with uh, Hamas, which is, wants to be perpetually at war? What do you, how do well, you see, respond I, to that?
2: Yeah, well, I think he's right. I mean, this, this is really the dilemma. We're putting a lot of word in it, the humanitarian pause for a ceasefire. The heart of the question for me is, can we continue bombing in a densely populated area with civilians and that is something both Bernie and I and Becca and President Biden are expressing enormous concern about. And there will be some civilian casualties in a war. Uh, but on the other hand, if you have a tactic bombing in a very densely populated area, it's going to be very disproportionate. So whether you call it a ceasefire or a pause, uh, my focus is really limiting this bombing. And, you know, an example of that was that 2,000-pound bomb that got uh, tar- that targeted a refugee camp where, you know, that was very densely populated and a lot of civilians uh, died. Also, we're going to have this situation where all these people, the million and a half who moved from North Gaza to South Gaza and are now in places where they were told to go for safety are actually in places that are being bombed. Are they going to have any place to return to? So, you know, there's a lot of focus on the word you use. But what I saw when Israel had a short-term pause, it was the first glimmer of hope. There was some safety for the legitimate civilians, and there was the first opportunity to bring in the humanitarian aid that was desperately needed. And we need humanitarian aid in You've got a, million and a half people who are essentially homeless, and they need medicine, they need food, they need water. So this is tough. And ultimately, by the way, what's going to have to happen is the Arab states, like Egypt, like Qatar, like Jordan, like Egypt, they're all going to have to be the partners in getting stability uh, and safety for Israel and the Palestinians.
0: Here's the thing that I find very frustrating, and I think I think we, we share this. This is by design. I mean, the Hamas leaders don't even live in Gaza. They're using these poor civilians as shields. Is there any discussion of, you know, holding Qatar uh, responsible? The leaders of Hamas are living in Qatar, and yet uh, the, the victims are these innocent civilians. Uh, but well, you know, uh, what, is, is there any discussion about that? Because I find it very frustrating. Well,
2: you know, you're right i And two things, number one, Hamas is brutally using the Palestinians as hostages you know there there was a big demonstration in Gaza City by Palestinians about the oppressive rule of Hamas uh, so real discontent among Palestinians about brutality and just the oppression of Hamas, and Hamas could care less and you're you 're right, they used him second. Uh, Just the dilemma with Qatar, the Hamas political leadership is living there, and Qatar in many ways has been supporting Hamas with financial transfers, and uh, on on the other hand, Qatar and Egypt have both played a major role in the discussions about the release of some hostages, and I had some hostage families, Israeli families who have loved ones that are being held hostage, They were visiting with me in my office and, you know, they're grateful to anybody and everybody who's helping uh, in the effort to return all the hostages safely. So Qatar has a role to play, but it's played a bad role along the way. So you got a good point there.
1: Uh, Senator Welch, how, um, how, we talk about funding coming from us to support uh, obviously Ukraine has been a constant question and and now Israel and a lot of people want to put conditions on the funding to Israel do you support conditions being put on that and in the house I don't know if this is so much in the Senate but I want to get your thoughts on this too in the house there's a move by the speaker to say look this is where we this is where we have our line in the sand which is that in order to support funding for Israel we need to get more funding for border security and basically they've said look if we can't if we can't secure our our own border and we're not going to be able to help someone else. What's your response to that?
2: Well, I favor making border security in reforms. We have to. And the situation that we have along the border is way different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. You know, in the past, Kurt, a lot of the pressure on the border was from Central America, the triangle country so-called, El Salvador, Nicaragua, or El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. That's not the case now. And the numbers are way up. And you have, like, folks from China flying to Ecuador and then marching up the through the Darien Gap. You've got over 100 countries, people coming in, and the numbers are, are, are significant. So I totally agree. And I say the Democrats can't be for the status quo at the border. And if it's part of uh, the issue of Ukraine and Israel, i am be supportive of that. I'm a little bit nervous about whether because we haven't been making the progress on the border, we should tie it together. There's all three things need to be done and I'm going to be flexible and be cooperative and try to make progress on all three issues with my
1: colleagues. Hey, how about, it's interesting for me to see that you and Ted Cruz got together to support a bill um, and it looks like a good bill to combat the deadly new street drug Trank, which is an animal uh, tranquilizer?
2: Yeah, it's disguising the the drugs that unfortunately are on the street and are, are adding to this catastrophic loss of life with the overdose. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned it. One of the things I've always done in, in my political life is, you know, you and I did this when we were together, find ways where you can get things done, whether you agree with a person on every other thing and Ted Cruz and I on this crank issue and the the whole fentanyl issue were very much aligned. So, um, it's amazing. You know, the first, one of the first bills we got passed was, uh, this crank that I did with, uh, (laughs) he wouldn't describe as my best political ally, (laughs) Ted Cruz.
0: Um, well, it's a it's a serious uh, it's a serious issue, particularly here at home. We had we had a couple of folks from the uh, fire department, Burlington Fire Department, explaining um, that drug. You know, Narcan does not revive exactly. people, and so they literally, old school, breathe for them with a the bag until they right. get them to the hospital. It is it is terrifying.
2: No, it is. And by the way, I met with some of the the, the, the first responder folks in the fire department. People, God bless them. I mean, this is such a hard job, and the demands on them are increasing every day. So I'm glad you talked to them, and I think we've got to give them much more public recognition for their valiant efforts.
1: Now, now Senator Welch, we're almost out of time. got just a couple, two or three minutes left here. Um, another bill that I've seen reported in the news is that you are calling for felons to be able to have the right to vote. Of course, they can't now. Um, I want to ask you about that, and does that mean, like, the guy who i know these are things i always pointed to but the guy the the bomber in boston has the right to vote do you think that would well, take off a lot of people
2: i think it, i think it would but i think the the heart of this is there's 4 million people that are that are in jail and uh you've got some extraordinarily violent people that none of us want to ever hear from again okay so there's some outliers there and if we could uh, have a way to make to treat them with the, in the way they deserve, but the vast number of people who are in jail and get out of jail are back in the community. And in Vermont, we and Maine, the, the, the people who are in jail can vote. They can do it. We we we're, we're pretty unusual in Vermont. So my overall view is that if the vast majority of people who get sentenced, who serve their time. During the time you're being served, the hopeful goal is rehabilitation for, for reintroduction. And having that opportunity to participate in the democratic process, I think, is a good thing. And we do it in Vermont. They do it in, Verm- in Maine. And I think it's uh, pretty good for the rest of the country.
1: Senator, we, uh, we just had former Speaker of the House Shap Smith on the show. and We asked him this question, so I want to ask you the same thing. Do you have any reservations about President Biden running for re-election at his age, and I mean clearly most people have seen some signs that he's there's some kind of cognitive decline starting at least that's what it well, seems I like
2: see. I dispute the cognitive decline I really would you know i' I'm, I'm around him, not a lot, but the times i 'm around him, I just don't see that, but the age issue is a real issue the The, the President Biden in the campaign is very aware they 've got to deal with it, uh, but the fact is that um, he's got a heck of a record. Uh, to run on. He, he's done a really good job with American Rescue. The first time we've had significant legislation, uh, on, on climate, uh, the CHIPS Act and getting manufacturing back in our country. So he's got a great political, uh, case to make. Uh, and he's got the support of Democrats. Uh, the age issue is one he acknowledges and he's got to deal with it. And it's going to be up to voters to make the decision.
1: What do you make, though, of people like former, uh, former President Obama's advisor? His name is escaping me right now, but he was his, one of his big campaign. Yeah, Axelrod. Yes, Axelrod, who, who's come out publicly and said that he thinks that it's an issue and that President Biden should think about whether he should run again. And he suggested that it was important for him to run and beat Donald Trump from their angle, but that this time he may be responsible for Donald Trump coming back and, and winning.
2: Axelrod, he's reflecting a a concern. It's a legitimate concern. And this is the challenge that the Biden campaign is going to have and the president himself is going to have.
1: All right, but but as of right now, you support the president going forward with re-election?
2: That's that's correct.
1: All right, Senator Peter Welch, thank you so much for being on The Morning Drive. Give our best to Margaret. Of, I,
2: thank you. She'll be thrilled.
1: Yeah. We love Margaret. I served on the Natural Resource Committee with her. She was a great legislator. Well,
2: I I, I don't let this go to your head, but she likes you,
1: Kurt.
0: Well, <laughs> he's a pretty good guy. you got to admit it. <laughs> not everybody agrees with that.
1: But uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Peter. We hope we can get you back on, and happy yep. holidays to you and Margaret and your whole family. You too. Thank you. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you very much, sir. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to... Ch-